What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 172 with my guest Lynette Corolla. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads. From medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Uh, go there, check it out. There's a forum you can join. Uh, you can take surveys. You can see how other people filled out surveys. Um, you can support the show financially. You can read a blog. Um, you can buy a t-shirt, you can buy a coffee mug, um, you can do whatever you want if you put your mind to it. Ew. I've already turned on myself. What are we at? The 57 second mark, and I've already turned on myself. Um, oh, I want to mention any of you that live in the Sacramento area or nearby, I'm going to be emceeing a uh, rally uh, sponsored by Cal Mesa, which is the California uh, Mental Health uh, Resource Authority. Is that what it stands for? California Mental Health Services Authority. <laughs> oh, Paul, you have got it together. You, you can't even pronounce the name of the place that you're driving to Sacramento to emcee for. That's all right. You guys get it, right? Let's get to some surveys. This, uh, you know I like me some struggle in a sentence survey, and so um, let's do some of those. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself 808 and about her OCD. I'd like to pay attention, but I've really got to check everything just a few more times. Snapshot from her life, I ducked out of work the other day to go home and make sure there were no rubber bands on the floor. Uh, it's from Lulu, and she writes about her depression, uh, agitated depression, cannot figure out what I need to do and don't even want to do anything. Anxiety, like I'm trying to catch my breath after seeing how long I can stay underwater. Sex crime victim, like I have a big V on my forehead and every creeper can see it. 
Um, snapshot from your life. My favorite way to comfort myself is to fantasize about my suicide slash death. Uh, this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Jay about her bulimia. Uh, actually, not bulimia, uh, binging. Uh, don't know why, but I can't stop. Uncontrollable urges to eat everything in sight so long as nobody is around. Then I smoke weed to be able to eat more. Then hate myself. Snapshot from her life, I've avoided seeing friends so that I can stay home and binge. It never even feels good. It's just out of control. Well, I hope uh, I hope that you know that there's help for that if you ever want it. Um, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Little Mac about his depression. When something, anything happens, depression is the difference between falling off a step stool and falling from the top rung of a ladder. OCD, never succeeding, only ever trying and trying again. PTSD, the moment in conversation when you remember that other people have dreams, something you've forgotten because you only have nightmares. Oh, that one breaks my heart. Snapshot from his life. When I drink, the complaints about me being awkward, not being normal, not being there, not being fun, the complaints go away. The OCD almost goes away for that little bit while I'm drinking, too. But none of it stays away. It only gets worse. It is a special hell when uh, when the thing that uh, comforts you in short term makes your life worse in the long run. And that was my that was that was my life until I got sober. Um, any comments to make the podcast better? Maybe special monthly or seasonal surveys. You've been wanting more positive stuff from the surveys than just shame. Maybe recollections of spring or summer, something seasonal. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what, because just writing this sounds cheesy, but maybe something to ask about how weather affects mood and disorders. I don't think that's cheesy at all. I think that's a great idea. So um, if I'm able to get out of bed at some point in the future, uh, I might make me one of them surveys. And thank you, Little Mac, for a great idea. This is filled out by Anne about her anxiety. Paralyzing fear of being discovered as a fraud or not good enough. Uh, snapshot. Uh in one of my worst states of depression, I decided that eating and drinking was too much of a chore because it meant I would have to get out of bed to go to the bathroom, which was one flight of stairs down. So I stopped. Wow, that is serious. That is serious. Sending you a hug. Uh, this is filled out by Claire and about her anxiety. Feels like there's always something wrong that I need to be worrying about. Oh, I think a lot of us relate to that one. Um... This was filled out by a woman who calls herself Wendy Darling. And uh, depression, watching the tide come in and go out, taking everything I have with it as it leaves, bringing nothing back. Anorexia, walking through the grocery store, leaning on the cart to keep myself upright, and leaving without buying anything. OCD, getting rage headaches because my roommates don't know how to load the dishwasher the right way. Um, other compulsive behaviors, feeling the need to spend hours and hours grooming myself and meticulously perfecting my hair and makeup because the thought of anyone seeing me looking less than my best is unbearable. I'm a slave to my makeup and I hate it. That's the first time, and I'm not kidding, that's the first time I've heard that expressed in doing the podcast. And I have a feeling that there are a lot more people that uh, that have that um, I guess that would be kind of similar to dermatillomania, which is the addiction to picking, uh, plucking hairs or um, picking at the, the skin. Um, let's see. Trictotillomania is picking at the hairs. Dermatillomania is picking at the skin. 
and I'm Paul. Codependency, feeling panicked when my parents don't immediately respond to my text because I assume the worst has happened to them. Anger issues, feeling literally dizzy and lightheaded with rage when yet another person tells me to love myself. It were as easy as wanting to do it, I'd have done it already. And boy, can I agree with you. Um, That is, yeah, I agree with you. Snapshot from her life, I was in the hospital laying on the bed in a gown, staring at the blank white walls as tears poured down my face. I was alone, but since the room was divided into two by a thin curtain, I could hear the loving, devoted family caring for their sick daughter on the other side. When my friends picked me up from the ER, they did not ask how I was doing. I sat in the back seat. Sat, sat in the back seat and tried to subtly wipe away the tracks of my tears. Sending you a hug and hoping that you can find a, a support network that does understand you and feel you and doesn't feel overwhelmed by the intensity of your situation. Uh, Kyle, about his anxiety, uh, he writes, A hairy troll under a bridge that's beat back by meds but could pop out and rear its head at any moment given the chance. Uh, drug addiction, watching a great movie or a concert with a friend while constantly being distracted by the thought, all I want to do is go home and smoke weed, and then feeling shame and guilt. I didn't realize I had so many of these here. I'm starting to feel self-conscious that you guys are going to be like, Jesus, get through these and get to the fucking interview. Um... Sammy, about her love addiction, wanting so badly to find love that I will pour my heart out to any guy and not figure out how to love myself first. Uh, About being the victim of a racial or cultural bias, they see me, I know what they're thinking. Snapshot of her life, offering myself to dance with the guy at my first school dance because the girl that he wanted to dance with did not want to. She was prettier than me, but I thought maybe the guy really wanted to dance. So I'd be kind and offer... uh, Offer it, or me, uh, to him. He chuckled and gave me a hard no. Was I that undesirable? All the reasons could only have been because I am black and have acne. So struggles, race, and issues with what I physically look like. Sending you a hug. Um, Am I getting too free and cheap with my hugs? Am I becoming a hug whore? Um, Poppy. Major depressive disorder, lying in a huge fog that never leaves, like always wearing damp socks that just won't dry out. Bulimia, I'm in love with a disease that will kill me. PTSD, oh, the night terrors. I wake up thinking my rapist is on top of me and I can't move. PTSD is like moving in slow-mo. When it hits you, you can't move, you can't do anything. You just re-experience everything in slow-mo. Snapshot from her life, crying on the floor of university exam room because I'm having a panic attack while knowing panic attack while knowing I am failing this course, feeling the waves of depression wash over me. I disassociate and hear, do you want my dick? Over and over and over again. Wow. Thanks, PTSD. Well, I'm sending you a hug and that is not a cheap one. Um, this uh, is a guy named Bobbert. And uh, his struggle is epilepsy, and he writes a snapshot from it, guards always up, unable to trust myself, knowing I could seize at any time and wake up with a concussion, face down, sucking in concrete while the world moves on without me. Oh, that has got to be so hard to live with. I'm so sorry. Um, This is from a woman who calls herself E, 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 E,
about uh, having borderline tendencies, like going down a ski hill but not knowing how to ski. Once you start, you can't stop. You are dropping and falling, and you know that you are, but you can't stop, and you can only roughly control the direction. Then you either hit someone or crash into a wall. Codependency, like being on a seesaw with someone you both love and hate more than anyone in the world. Instead of walking away, you think if you can only control them enough, control the situation enough, you can fix them and they can love you properly. But you break down the boundaries so that you can almost be the same person because then maybe you can control the situation and be loved the way you want. Wow. That is so profound. And then... uh other compulsive behaviors, I do not know how not to chew my lips, crack my fingers, touch my face, pick my nose, deep, deep shame and confusion. And uh, finally, Fruitsy Collins, uh, high five to Fruitsy, he's uh, active in the forum. He writes about uh, his anxiety. There's a voice living in the back of my skull observing every thought I have and telling me it's not okay to have. And about his codependency? Every time you express an opinion, I feel more scared of being who I am. Oh, God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's, that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got into therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Lynette Carolla, uh, who many of you know as the uh, the wife of Adam Carolla. But there there's so much to her <laughs> life beyond her her marriage to to Adam. Um, to and certainly we'll touch on that if you're if you're sure. comfortable. Oh yeah, anything. Ask me anything. Um, where would be a good place to start with? Um, with your story, I know that you had kind of a chaotic uh, upbringing. Yeah, you want to talk about that? Sure. Where you were raised? How yeah. many kids in your family? Sure. Um, I grew up in the West Valley, California, Los Angeles. I was born in Cleveland, but my family moved out here when I was seven. And uh, was there a particular reason they moved out here? My father uh, was in the advertising business and got a job at a. KTTV Channel 11 Metro Media <laughs> and uh, so we lived out here and my, and my father actually got me a SAG and AfterCard and tried to put me in showbiz and they took me on auditions my whole childhood which I hated but I never said anything because they liked it my parents seemed to like it so I went along with it Fuck, um, fucked up out of the gate. Out of the gate. I, know. I mean, let us just relax and enjoy LA I, for a while. I don't think I've heard in the two and a half years of doing the podcast, I don't think I've heard in the first 20 seconds that makes me go, oh, Jesus. I know. I know. It's, it, it, um, 
Well, um, it was a learning experience. And I think in the bigger picture, it it shaped a little bit. It gave me more. I think it it, it instilled uh, a little self-esteem. Not a lot. Because I don't have that. I don't have a lot of self-esteem. Did you have success? Um, I did a couple. No, not really. I did a couple commercials that were like Westinghouse commercial and a Ronald Reagan when he was running for president. He put his arm around me and talked about my my future. Um, that that's about it. Every it was back in the in the seventies, early eighties. Everybody, all the the advertising people wanted red hair freckles, and I had a Jew fro. <laughs> that was out of control. <laughs> out of control. What happened to your hair? It's so straight and it's not red well, anymore. Luckily, there's a thing called the Brazilian straightener and carotene and just years of straightening it with the straighten iron and just that, figuring it out. <laughs> is, it, is it naturally straight now? Um, if No, no. It expands. Okay. It expands and frizzes up like a frizz ball. Um, what happened to the freckles? Uh, well, I didn't have freckles. They were looking okay. for red hair freckles. I had, you know, brown eyes. So I was, you know, I was ethnic looking and McDonald's didn't want that. They wanted the all-American kid. So, um, so we lived in, we lived in, in the hot valley. We didn't have any air conditioning. Very similar to Adam. Um, parents, you know, middle class, uh, valley, no air, no cable, no, um, you know, shag TV, I mean, the shag floor, sh- shag carpeting. Everybody had that nice carpet. I just remember having shag, crappy shag ca- Did carpet. your parents smoke? They did not. My parents are from Italy. That's the other thing. So they didn't drink, smoke, or have any friends. They were boring. Um, well, my mom was cuckoo, but my my parents didn't have any friends. We had my cousins that came out from Canada. But other than that, that were was you, it. Were you raised with any particular faith? No. No, 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 didn't go to church or anything like that. My dad's an atheist. My mother's Catholic, Christian. What do you remember um, thinking or feeling on as you were going on these auditions, and where do you think the self-esteem building came from? Because in in my mind, I would have predicted that just the opposite would have happened, that it would have torn down a kid's self-esteem. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I didn't want to get the jobs because I was too shy. So secretly, I would go on the auditions and sort of, I wasn't, I was pretty ambivalent about, I just didn't really want the job. So, um, so when I didn't get, we didn't hear ever. So we, I, I must have went on that. I mean, I would say a thousand auditions easily. Oh yeah, God. easily. But I never, I never would get the job and I was fine with it. So it kind of became just something like you have an audition on Thursday. You got to dress like a cowgirl. My, my mom would p- pick me up at school in her Nova, no air conditioning. And, um, I'd just be sweating in the back and, you know, she'd pick me up early and I, so I'd have to leave my friends and I was bummed about that and then change into like these Levi jeans that are like scrap, you know, the, like, you know, the Levi jeans that are brand new, just putting those on. It's like and, a burlap blanket. Ugh, in the valley, you know, a hundred degrees, no air in the car either, just no air conditioning and, um, just being miserable. So the, the, the self-esteem though, I think think in the bigger picture I now that I look back um, I think that came from going into the auditions you know slate your name blah 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 you know and then do your you know you were cold they give you a, you know the cold readings or whatever so they uh, yeah 
Yeah, because you haven't read it in lines. advance. Right, yeah. So they just give you a little script to read. And I would have to do it. Uh, I, You know, at age 10, I would have to sit there and try and within an hour or two remember, because I'm sitting in the, in the casting room, those lines and try to get good at it. And if my dad took me on auditions, he would practice with me. If my mom, my mom, she barely spoke English. She just sat there. But um, I would try. And, and so then I'd go in and I'd have to, you know, in a room filled with executives. And, you know, they've been sitting there all day looking at kids go, you know, one after the other, you know, name, eyes, social security number. Eyes barely open. Right, right. Like they could give a shit. And, you know, um, and so, okay, let's do it, you know. And so I'd have to read with one of them. And I was nervous. But, but I'd have to do that over and over and over. And I think that sort of... I think that in in the long run, I look at it as a positive because it really, I think, gave me a little more self-esteem. Like, I can talk in front of people a little bit. I still, though, this day, I don't like to. I it, I do feel shy. Like, I get a little nervous just coming on your podcast, you know. Um, well, I'm going to cut you to pieces, okay, so you good. should be. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> what, I what, what so were you, what are What is the nervous? And by the way... 99% of the guests that I have, um, with the exception of uh, comedians, um, and even them, they will admit that they are, are nervous. Um, mm-hmm. What is it that you're nervous about? Um, oh, um, I'll tell you what I'm nervous about, that I say wrong words. That um, Because I didn't have a good, I didn't have an education, really. I went, went to a, a school for hippies that parents and teachers started, and it was a, a kumbaya type school. So I didn't learn, I really didn't learn anything. I, I, and so now when I go and I talk and I do my podcast and I do your podcast, I feel like I'm going to say the wrong word. Like, you know, uh, mm, dilapi- dilapidated, <laughs> you know, right. and we're in, and so like that, just little things like you're that. You're afraid that you're going to look foolish or stupid? Yeah. And say something stupid or does, don't make sense and stuff like that. And, and and yeah. afraid people are going to think, oh, Lynette Carolla, yeah, she's, she's a box of rocks. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, what, why do you think you didn't speak up to your parents? I did, well, I was very close with my dad. My Thank God for my dad. My dad um, was the sane one. I had two brothers, one 10 years older and the other one eight years older. But the eight-year-older one had a great sense of humor and was very loving and and fun the older one was serious all the time they both were they both graduated civil engineers they were both mathematicians and i couldn't do math to save my life and uh the the younger one got uh mentally ill schizophrenia and when i was age 12 i think 11 or 12 um no you said younger than that you said the younger one yeah he was eight years older than me okay i'm but see this is what I'm talking about. And that's about the time, um, I, I, from what I understand, that if a person is, has schizophrenia, that it begins yes. to um, Early adolescence. emerge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was something that was going on in our family. We had no idea what it was. He was going to Cal State uh, Northridge and studying engineering. And my both brothers, they left high school early and went straight to college. Um, they were on the dean's list. I mean, they were... Did they go to the same hippie school as you? No, they okay. didn't. They were. They grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and and then we moved when I was seven. So, um, I, they, so 
my brother was acting weird. He was wearing sunglasses. He was wearing his one pant leg rolled up. He wasn't showering. His hair was growing out. And we were, what is going on? What's going on with Dave? And nobody, nobody really knew. Back then, we didn't know. Um, my dad sort of thought drugs or something. And he would have, my brother would have nightmares. My brother would talk to himself. He would sit in the dark. I was home alone a lot with him. He would sit in the dark. And he would talk to himself and giggle and laugh and just sort of talk and stare. And then um, he, this was the the terrifying part is this is the, he would have nightmares in the middle of the night and he would run into my room screaming um, like somebody's chasing him in the middle of the night. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I was about 10 or 11. Um if I really think about it, see, that's what I'm talking about. I'm dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that has nothing to do with intelligence. I know. Remembering, I know. remembering I've been the to therapy. Year. I know. Yeah. Um, so that that's pretty traumatizing. And my mother was a third degree black belt in five martial arts. What? Yeah. And she taught self defense. She had in, bro- a, in broken uh, English. Yes, in broken English. And I have newspaper clippings of her on the cover of Black Belt magazine, and in the newspaper with. Um, she was on uh, the morning show with Regis Philbin, and there's a picture of her doing like a you know a, a, a chokehold move, and it was during the um, the Strangler, the uh, the Los Angeles Strangler. What what they call it? the yeah, the hillside yeah, the hillside strangler. strangler, yeah. And so she Kenneth, was Kenneth Bianchi. I know yes, my serial killer. That's right. Did you and grow his, up in and his cousin? I didn't, but I've always been fascinated with serial yeah, killers. Yeah, and his cousin. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I love that stuff too. Um, so my mom was in the newspaper because she was teaching self-defense towards women and blah, blah, blah. But my mother was very um, grabby and um, um, uh, she was abusive. You know, she wouldn't lock me in a bedroom and close the door and don't feed me for days. But she would grab me by her nails in front of my friends and pull me home or pull me by my hair. Um, she was loud. Uh, she was always very eccentric. And she... As she got older, we figured out she's got a little mental something. Uh, she's got the mental gene. And as she got older into her 60s, late into her 70s, she developed, you know, hallucinating and and real mental illness um, where she would go and uh, very manic. She was bipolar, but but bipolar, manic, ba- manic, bipolar, but happy. She wasn't ever depressed. My mom was never depressed. My mom was like, "That's interesting. I've never, I've never heard of that." Where, yeah, it's yeah, just the mania. Yeah, just the mania. And she was in great shape. So she, if when she got mental sick, I was around trying to help her, and she didn't want any of it. And and she, you know, because she looked good, and she, there's no way that she's sick. No way that she's got a problem. I can't imagine for her how powerful that must have felt being a. Fifth, uh, a third degree black belt in the middle of mania. You've mm-hmm. got to feel like yeah. the most she powerful did. person on earth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And nobody can tell you differently. No. And when the PET team came out and... Uh, PET stands for? A psychiatric Evaluation Team. Okay. And then they come out. If there's a problem, if you notice mental illness and you think somebody's acting strange, you can call them. They're in every city. And... Uh, they're the pet team they come out they evaluate the situation and then uh they say this person needs help they need to go to the hospital they need to get on meds quickly and they'll take them in the ambulance and they'll go with them to the hospital and if you have 
uh, insurance. They'll take you to a good hospital. If you don't, they'll take you to the shitty, you know, city hospital. Um, and, and then in my mom's case, she didn't want to go with them. The hell no, she wasn't. She was not going. And uh, so we have to call the police. Then the police come out. My mom broke the guy's watch. Adam was there when this went down. Um, the police had to take her physically into the ambulance, and she oh kicked. My she God. kicked the officer and broke his watch. Um, it was it was awful. It's yeah. a good thing that she was a little older when this yeah. happened because she could have yeah. really hurt some people. Oh yeah, yeah. So she went. She this happened like three times where we had to have the pet team come and get her and force her. Then the cops had to come. At that point, I was had my brother Dean, like the oldest one, do it because I couldn't take it. I couldn't be around. It was too. Were you living at home? No, I was out. I was an adult. I was twenty four years old, and and she was you know early seventies. So. I was dating Adam at the time, but I was helping her. I was helping her financially and everything else. I would visit her all the time, talk to her every day. My brothers, they didn't, they, they weren't, and my dad, they were divorced. So nobody, she was living on her own in the house that I grew up in with no air conditioning still. Um, try to get her air conditioning. I hope to God she, you have air conditioning now. I do. <laughs> <laughs> it is burnt. It is yeah. etched your, uh-huh. yeah. So, um, uh, I was on. I was trying to get a hold of her. I knew she was having an episode. This was, you know, um, six years ago, and she wasn't answering the phone. And she went to for what happened. She went into the Warner Center, uh, Hilton, checked herself in, and the the ladies told me that she would go down and have dinner, and she would order a plate for Jesus and for her. She would have dinner with Jesus. <laughs> oh my! She started seeing. She started going the um, the. Uh, the, the Jesus route, the Christianity, and she was all preaching and preaching and preach. So when she, as she got older and her manic was coming out, it was more of that than self-defense. It was all about Jesus and God, and she was sending emails to Jesus. And, I mean, she was going crazy. Is, is that, that hallucinating? Is that an, an was, element of yeah. schizophrenia? Yes, yes. Okay. She had psychiatric, yeah. She had... um uh, my brother has auditory hallucinations. She had visual and auditory. As she got when she she did not have this when I was growing up though. She was she was crazy. She was always in a good mood. She was my mom was like you know she would call my friend's house when I was a teenager and and she would terrorize them. Let me talk it to Lynette. Put a Lynette on the phone right now. You tell her that asshole to get home and now. You know she was very aggressive, um, but she wasn't hallucinating. So when she got into her later years, that's when it happened. And so she was living by herself. I was calling her. And one time I went, so I couldn't get a hold of her. I went into the house and I called and my stomach was like, I had a knot in my stomach because I knew she was home. This was another time I knew she was home. And um, mom and I could hear her in the back bedroom. And uh, I went back there and she was in her bathroom on the floor in her nightgown on her stomach with ants all over her and she had hu- huge black and blue um, bruising underneath her arms and she dislocated her shoulder but she was just laying there and she was saying she was fine and I said mom what are you doing I called the ambulance right away and she said that she was fine that she was resting and she said there was an earthquake with and she got twisted and twisting and something about twisting and I said what happened to your arms how did this happen she there was a broken glass in the kitchen. I, I to this day I don't know what happened. Um, and then we got her in the hospital and we got her on her medication and she wouldn't she wouldn't take her medi- medication and then we sent her home and 
I, nobody, she lived by herself, so I had to hire a, a night, a, a nurse just to go by there. I had to tell her it wasn't a nurse because she was so, you know, I'm fine. I'm physically fit. There's nothing wrong with me. And so the nurse would go and she would uh, crush up the Ambilify that they gave her and put it in her drink. And then when she did that, she was okay. She was, she wasn't, she was fine. She was stable. And then one day she laid down and took a nap and she died. That's how she died. <laughs> she was on her way to the gym and she went into my old bedroom like she always does. And she always lays down for half an hour before she goes out. She did that her whole life. Like, she, and she tried to make me do that before I went, you know, just to, just to lay down and relax. Just to relax before you go. Just the rest. Just the rest, you know. And then she, she obviously was doing that because she was going somewhere, um, I think, to the gym. And she had some sort of cardiac something. There, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you. <laughs> Am I boring? Is this boring? I mean, is this... <laughs> boring no i don't know that's I don't know. it is not boring <laughs> it is not boring it's uh, it's I weird. Have so many so many questions the first question i want to ask is when they would be subduing her trying to get her into the ambulance what what would she be saying she would say she would be screaming get off of me get off of me leaving me alone leaving me alone I, you know this is my house don't you who are you you don't touch me you know this is this is uh, how dare you, you know, that kind of stuff. And did she know that you had called? Yeah, she was mad at me. She looked at me and Adam and she said, you, you asshole, what are you doing? You know, how dare, you know, she was mad. And then she would go to the hospital and I called the hospital and they'd say she's resting. They gave her some um, Xanax or whatever and they had, she was resting and they had a seven, this is another mess. She had, she had a set, they had a 72 hour hold. And then after that, they have to let her go. Sometimes they kept her for two weeks until I tried to get conservative ship. And if you don't have conservative ship, you know, there's nothing you can do. And um, it, it was a pain in the ass to get conservative. It was ridiculous. And I just couldn't do it. And um, so a lot of times she'd go to these hospitals and she'd just be there a couple of days and then they'd let her go home. Did she ever see things your way in regard to you? Never. What did, Never. What, did, what, did what was that like? <sighs> very it was it was heartbreaking it was it was sad and it was um it gave me anxiety you know i would worry let um that you know that i would talk to her every day so if i didn't hear from her i would you know i would get nervous and worry and have anxiety and then finally she'd answer the phone and then i could tell what kind of state she was in and it was just it was and my brothers i wasn't on good terms with my older brother because he married somebody else that I didn't really particularly care for. And so I was left in the family to take care of her. So I was the sole person taking care of her. And only, but my elder brother would come with the hospital and the pet team in that situation because I couldn't handle it. But um, yeah, it was, it was terrifying. It was anxiety ridden. Did you have dread about dealing yes. with her? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, I have to, when she, when I found out she died and I miss her and my, you know, my kids were nine months old when she passed away and she would have loved to have seen them grow up. But, um, now you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> but she, uh, when she passed, when I found out that she passed away, it was like, whew, you know, she, she was, it was not, you know, she didn't have cancer and she wasn't struggling. She wasn't you know, sick for months. I mean, of course she was mentally sick, but she was ha She was always a happy person. So she was happy. She was on her way to the gym. She laid down. 
the um the the coroner said that she just had some arrhythmic heart heart attack small heart attack or something and that was it and one other thing i worried that the nurse gave her too much medicine at, at some point or something <clears throat> and i had to talk to dr drew about that and and uh another i had got two doctors opinions and they said no you there's it doesn't cause that Ambilify medication doesn't can't do that it is dangerous if you're an elderly person and they have dementia but she did not have dementia so so but i have to say i you know it ever since then it's been a big relief it really i mean it's been six six years and it's been like i think about it you know i think oh god like there's times where i think well i gotta call my mom but i realize you know and it's and you know you know we all gotta die at some point (laughs) there are, are people that fill out surveys on the the website and one of the most common one uh to the question what are your darkest thoughts a really, really common one is mm. that people can't wait for a parent to die mm. um, and mm-hmm. feel terrible about it, oh. um, or they ju- they it that's maybe too strong that they can't wait for them to die. They look for the relief of that yes. person. I think a hundred percent normal. I think we all, you know, we all have parents, and if you're close with them and you're involved with taking care of them, or you're just have a relationship with them. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's totally normal. That's totally. How about if you tell them while they're alive, your death will be a sweet French dessert? <laughs> well, um, that might not be so. <laughs> I remember, uh, and right now I'm feeling anxiety that the regular listeners are like, oh, this fucking chestnut again. You know, you're but, too hard on yourself. I listen to your podcast. Why are you so hard on yourself? Because I don't know. I could offer some theories as to why my mom was so critical growing up. Every single thing was judged and picked apart and either praised or Mm. shown what was wrong or flawed with it. And that voice is buried so deeply in my brain that I I read this article on co-narcissism. It's so profound. And one of the things that this... uh, uh, doctor said is that children who were raised by narcissists believe that the rest of the world views them the way their parent viewed them. Wow. And so I picture people impatient waiting to pounce on my mistakes. Um, oh. And I know intellectually that's not it, but when the feeling comes up in my chest yeah. that I'm going to lose yeah. listeners because I'm Say right because I'm repeating things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I can't not apologize. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to work on it, mm-hmm. but it's so hard because it's visceral with me, right? And it's not intellectual, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. And I know that the best thing for me to do right now when that feeling comes up is to be honest about the feeling and mm-hmm. say, this is this is why I'm doing it. But I don't want to stop and do that every single time because right. I think that will then become well, boring and then I'll lose listeners. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> th- thank you for that. And I, I appreciate that compassion. And I get emails all the time from listeners that are yeah. like, stop being so hard on yourself. It, Great I, podcast. Um, thank you. Thank you. I really you. do. I appreciate that. So I was staying with my mom a couple of years ago, and she was, I was just feeling like 
just exhausted by her and her, you know, trying to control me and not listening to me and not seeing me and just wanting me to be this, Mm. this child that she wanted me to be for whatever reason. And I remember I woke up before her one morning and walked past her bedroom and I saw her there asleep and I remember thinking I hope she never wakes up Mm. and then feeling terrible about it and then feeling okay about it because Mm. I felt like that's not on you Mm -hmm. that's not on you exactly Um, and I want to share that because I know there are so many people out there that are exhausted by a parent Mm -hmm. and I I want them to not beat themselves up for it Right. They're not alone. I I beat myself up more about telling the story than I do about the feeling. I don't beat myself up at all about that feeling. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, that's good. That's a good step. You're you're on the right path. (laughs) I feel like it. Yeah. I feel like it. Yeah. Um, Did you, how did you cope with this? I mean, your situation, Lynette, sounds so overwhelming from so many different angles Mm -hmm. how did you where did you find joy where did you to be honest with you i didn't think of it like that when it was happening i never thought about don't yeah that's their normal and now that i'm an adult i actually haven't really talked about it even with therapists i talked about my therapy my mother being aggressive with me but those incidents that happen and stuff like with my brother, I never really talk about it. And so when I hear myself talking, I'm like, I do think like, Jesus Christ, why aren't I so, f- I should be more fucked up than I already am. But um, I, I would, at the time, I spent with my friend, I would get out of the house and be with my friends. And that's the thing. I didn't get a good education. I hung out with my friends. After school, I went to their house and we didn't do homework. We sat there and watched weird science for the 105th time. <laughs> You're stewed, buttwad. So, you know, I Bill mean... Bill Paxton was so oh, good in that. He's great. It was great. That's That was my high school years of just sitting there and going to the beach every day and hanging out and uh, started smoking pot and then drinking beer and just that's as far as it went. I was too scared to do anything else because my parents are so uptight and Italian. They always scared me that, you know, I was going to die if I tried drugs. Um, but so I just found another family and hung out with them and still to this day best friends with my girlfriend um what does it feel like when you're around her comforting comforting like when my mom died and i had to go to the funeral i was like i'm married at the time i had adam i said suzanne you gotta sit right next to me (laughs) like don't leave my side sit next to me and wherever i go you follow me And, you know, we make it a joke that she holds my purse. Like, that's how it went throughout life. She was always looking out for me. When we went to bars, I'd get really fucked up. And she, even though she was fucked up, she would go and get, you know, she'd have my purse. And she'd tell me it's time to go, you know, and stuff like that. Um, You know, and so my, my, I, I didn't really get into drugs, just smoking pot and drinking beer and hanging out with my friends. And uh, I enjoyed my job. I really, I wanted to work in the entertainment industry and my dad, and I didn't have any experience. I didn't have any connections. I didn't have anything. And my dad said, start at the bottom and work your way up. Go get a job as a receptionist. And I did at a small little entertainment company out in Agora. And I loved it. It was small and I became, they were like my family. And then I really wanted to do great for them. So I 
uh, was quickly uh, promoted to sales assistant. They they did syndication sales, and my two bosses were traveling around the country, and I was their assistant, and I was rolling calls with them, and I felt it felt good. It was really satisfying. I loved it. And then I worked at ABC later on, and then I met Adam and all that. But um, I I guess I coped with it with being with my friends, and but I didn't start working until I was like twenty in the entertainment industry till I was 22. So between high school and 22, I was doing nothing. <laughs> living at home. Uh, li- living at home. I was working at a preschool. I worked at a preschool. Um, that was my job. And just hanging out, just waiting to get off work so I could go to the beach. Just a, see, just loser. <laughs> just a valley loser. Look at you being hard like on Adam. yourself. Look well, at you being hard on yourself. You're 22. Kids don't. Yeah, I know. Often I know, know what I they think... want to do at twenty two. Yeah, but I'm jealous of those. I went to you know when when I left and I went to UC, you know, uh, whatever, or I you know these people that went to college and stuff. I get you know I'm jealous. I wish I could have done that, you know. But um, my brothers did it. It was like my parents put all the energy in them with the education, and me was with I'm cute, and so they put me in acting or whatever. And so that's that's the other thing. It was like, you know, Lynette's pretty, so we're, or she's cute, so we're gonna just go that route. She's not too sharp, so we're gonna go, we're gonna take that route. She's gonna if, put her in TV. If you could have found the words to express what you wanted to express as a kid, what would you have said? Um, I would have talked to my dad, not my mom, because my mom's crazy. I would have said, "Daddy, uh, I like showbiz," because my dad was really into showbiz. He still is. Um, he's very proud of Adam. And uh, I would tell him, Dad, I don't want to. I don't want to go on auditions. I don't. Um, I I just don't. I just want to be a kid. I don't want to. I, I get I get embarrassed and I'm shy and I get a, a stomach ache when I have to go and I'd rather not. And I think my dad would have understood. He's a sense. He was a sensible guy. And so, do you think what kept you from saying that was that? you saw that it made them happy and they yeah. needed happiness in their lives? Yeah. They didn't like each other when I was growing up. They slept in separate rooms and they would get along okay, but then they would have arguments and they would have huge arguments and fight. And my mom would kick the shit out of my dad. And so wow. <laughs> my dad would be afraid of her. Um, and my dad was mean too. My my mom painted the bedroom once when my brother moved out and he she painted over the sticky back tape from his posters. And my dad came home and had a fit that she painted it and didn't take the, the paint off first. So she was in the pool, you know, doing her backstroke singing and he flipped it out. And he said, you fucking moron. You did. Da, 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 da. And he took a Sharpie and he wrote on the wall and he circled the wall. Tape must come off asshole and he'd circle he'd circle all the tapes with the black sharpie and meanwhile my mom's like in the pool doing her backstroke having a good time and then she came in and she saw that and all fucking hell broke loose and i you know sat there and listened to that in the heat <laughs> no cable I, I would go down the street to my friend's house but my dad throughout all that the one thread my dad stayed until i was 22 23 he stayed there, and he told me he's staying. I'm staying here for you. I don't want to leave you with her. Um, you know, he went to work every day. He came home, and for the most part, he stayed out of her way. And he would take me out on the weekends, and you know, take me horseback riding, took me to my ice skating lessons, took me to his errands. Um, 
he, you know, I, we would watch Love Boat and Fantasy Island together at night. And that's why my dad was all about movies and TV and you would, the magic of television and, and the magic of the Hollywood. And you would be a beautiful, you know, you could be a star and you could, you know, you do, the, you know, it just pushing and pushing and pushing. So I see that it made my dad happy. There's no way I was going to go, listen, old pop. So, you know, I ain't doing that. I don't want to do that. I want to go smoke pot with my friends. See ya. You know, I couldn't, I was, couldn't. Was there a part of you that was touched and liked the attention from him or was it always in a way that was kind of pushy and made you feel like you were doing this for him spending time around him for him um i i felt pushed into it i felt like it was pushy yes um, i mean like the horseback riding and the watching right the the, the, TV the shows, shows and mm-hmm. stuff like that that mm-hmm. felt pushy to you as well no that was joy okay that i liked that that was my childhood that I wanted to that was like what I wanted out of life and at the time and they gave you know my dad made sure I took my ice skating lessons that's what I wanted to do you know I can't imagine how much that was so important to you not cracking mm-hmm. girls they say the girls are wired with their dad you know if they have a good relationship with their dad or not is how they you're molded and here I am I, I mean I'm I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm not in drugs. And, you know, I I was a little loose when I was a teenager, though. I did like the boys. <laughs> um, I did a lot of boyfriends and stuff, but I wasn't anything. Why do you say loose? Uh, I was just making a joke. Um, okay. You know, this guy's cute. Uh, he's my, you know, uh, he's my boyfriend. I'm going to hang out with him. I'm going to go make out with this guy. That kind of thing. When I got older. That, that, that doesn't sound loose to me. That sounds like somebody <laughs> exploring. Yeah. Yeah. The, I suppose to your Italian parents. Oh yeah, that was oh, loose. Oh yeah. Uh, are there any seminal, other seminal moments in your childhood or your adolescence or your young adulthood before we get to your kind of present day and um, your relationship with with Adam? Um, in my childhood, what seminal mean? Um, profound, life changing. Um, that was pivotal and that changed. Um, or was especially. Um, uh, painful, embarrassing, or something that you were like, this is my soul, this is the direction I want to head in, this is, I'm discovering me. Well, I'll tell you, when I, after the 94 earthquake, and I was living in a, in the house um, with my girlfriends, I did have that feeling of dread a lot. Like, what am I, I have to take care of myself. Uh, I'm just an assistant at this point. Do I have what it takes to get to be an executive, to be a sales executive? I don't know. And that was very fearful. I mean, I had that feeling every night. I had a diary and and I saw a therapist and she said, you know, you should start writing. And I remember I would just write that every night. I'm I'm scared that I'm never going to, I'm always just going to be an assistant. Um, Did you feel anything when you would write it? Would you feel any kind of release or burden being lifted? Sad sad yeah it was just sad i remember and every sunday i i would feel sad i don't know what that is but every sunday even to this day i have this like feeling of doom my girlfriend had the same type of feeling and we call it the feeling of doom are you you know are you feeling that and it's feeling not having a boyfriend not having any you know everybody else has boyfriends and dates i'm single i'm on my own i'm paying my bills i'm driving my car but at the same time loved my job. I remember how much I 
I would talk to my friends about, you know, the, the executive and what he did and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it was boring to them, but I liked it. And it gave me a sense of purpose. And that really made me feel good. However, is this it? Like, I want to mm-hmm. go more. I want to get, I want to, can I climb that ladder? Am I going to be able to do that? Yeah, I wonder. And, and I get that Sunday thing, too. It's kind of like, well, did I do anything with this last week? Um, it, it Tomorrow is either school or work. Right. And the pressure is on to right. do, to do whatever to to take that next step in my life, mm-hmm. and yeah, there is there is nothing as melancholy as the sun going down on a Sunday yeah, in, the at, at 435 in the fall at four thirty five o'clock. I totally agree. It's the feeling of do- I have that that sinking, sad, a little anxiety, a little anxious, like something almost like a a, a taste of like. This what must be death must feel like yeah. in in a, in a way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's interesting that you have the same. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah, Sundays I've never. I have a hard time feeling joy on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on a Sunday, um, or at least when I was I had a nine to five life. Yeah, I had a hard time experiencing that yes i i do i do now i'm i'm a mom and i gotta get the kids up for school every morning i have that feeling and you know what's interesting is that my son said that to me he's seven years old and on a sunday he said mommy i have this feeling of sadness and i don't know why and i said and i was out of the blue and then i just thought oh my god i hope he doesn't have what i have you know and uh I said, well, what does it feel like? I don't know. I just feel like sad. And I said, well, you know what? The good thing is it's going to go away. You're not going to feel like this forever. And sit with it, you know, for a little bit and talk to mommy about it. And let's, you know, go have dinner and you're okay. And nothing, nothing's going to happen and everything's fine. And, you know, that's That's so, that's so beautiful. Yeah. my, yeah, he's a sweet kid, but and you have twins. They're, mm, they're what, boy what you, girl, and is that uh, what's that called? Fraternal twins. They're fraternal. Yeah, yeah seven okay. seven years old boy girl. M- which means they were born in a fraternity, right? Y- yeah, and you <laughs> drinking beer were impregnant. Right. Yeah, impregnated doing a keg stand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the keg stand. I did uh, funnel. I would do yeah. the funnel beer. That's what I. I would think do. keg stands were invented after I. Uh, Mm-hmm. Was out of college, thank God. Um, See, you went to college. Yeah, and I became a theater major. That uh... well, you did something. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy college. College, I felt like I was um, free in in many ways. I, I I suppose because I was away from um, my mom mm. and on my own and. I've always enjoyed the company of friends and, mm. and laughing mm-hmm. and um but getting back to uh you and your and your story, uh so any any seminal moments that were missing before we get to your um, current relationship? That's I, I have to say um any addictions you've struggled with? Uh after I gave birth to the kids, yes. But not then. Um so I don't know if you want to move to to that let's, area. Let's move to that. Um, but but before we do that, let's take a uh, just a little bit of uh, time 
and give some love to our sponsor, PillPack. PillPack is the online pharmacy that delivers convenient pre-sorted meds right to your door. Uh, you can support them by visiting PillPack.com slash happy hour and actually supporting the podcast because then they know you listen and you support uh, the show sponsors. And if you decide to try it, um, you get the first month free when you sign up at PillPack.com slash happy hour. Uh, PillPack is just a really great service that's very well uh, thought out. Uh, they take your meds as as seriously as you do. They know how important they are. They ship prescriptions to 33 states and non-prescriptions to all 50. Super easy to enroll. Uh, all you need to do is sign up with some straightforward uh, contact information. Then they contact your present pharmacy and they switch your your prescriptions over. And um, they ship them in uh, really it, almost like a you know, deli counter, how it rolls and it takes tickets. Um, you just rip off the packet that has your pills for either that day or the time of that day. It's uh, it's clearly marked, and I don't know about you, but I hate waiting in line at pharmacies for uh, for my prescriptions. I stopped um, doing that years ago, and I'm beginning been getting them mailed ever since and i i really like it and the nice thing too is you don't you know sit in line at a pharmacy for 20 minutes and then find out they can only fill half your prescription you got to come back and do it again um so go check it out pillpack.com slash happy hour and uh pillpack would appreciate it and this podcast would greatly appreciate it uh let's get back to lynette but yeah after i gave birth I never had that addiction. I always smoked cigarettes and then not, like uh, drink and then not. And uh, when I met Adam, after I met Adam, I, I stopped. Would you stop because it was becoming a problem or you weren't interested in doing it? Not interested. Never became a problem. My parents, like I said, they don't, they don't have the addiction gene. And mm. so there was no drinkers in my family, no drugs. So um, it was, you know, I enjoyed it and then I was done. And then when I met Adam, I started and I was working. I was working out. I always exercise. That's the one thing I always did. And um, so uh stopped smoking cigarettes and stopped all that. Then had the kids had I had to have a C-section. And um, when you have a C-section, they can give you Vicodin because you can breastfeed and take Vicodin. Sweet, sweet Vicodin. Mm -hmm. And also, towards the end of the pregnancy, I was in a lot of pain. My back hurt, my stomach hurt, everything hurt, and they gave me Vicodin. So I was taking a one Vicodin um, once in a while, and then I gave birth, and my sister-in-law, who's not related to me um, by blood, but by marriage, and I'm very close with, um, she's a very big part of my life, actually, um, she came and stayed with me after I gave birth to the kids and to help me because she raised five kids and um, she's always taken pills. And, and and I don't know if she realizes that it's a problem, but she struggles with depression and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I never really got into it with her. But once in a while, if I had a headache, she'd give me a Vicodin and I liked it and it was fun and that was that, didn't no big deal. But when she came to stay with me after the pregnancy, I was postpartum depressed and I but I didn't know it I mean I didn't say anything I, I didn't know and she came with me to my exam you go to the doctor a couple a week later and they examine make sure everything's okay and she said you go there and you tell them if you want because um, I'm like I like you the Vikey man this is fun you can get shit done and blah 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 and she's like well then you tell the doctor that you're in pain and you need more medicine and uh, I was like okay 
And it was like, I wasn't worried at all because I never had a problem. And uh, went to the doctor and he gave it to me, he gave me a prescription. It was gone in like two weeks. She took it and I I took it. Were you taking it as prescribed or no. overdoing it? Yeah. yeah, I was overdoing it. And then... That's what Vicodin's made for. Yeah. It's it's deli- it's yummy. Mm-hmm. So then... um went and just kept going and going and uh and so the doctor gave gave me a prescription once every couple of weeks i would say for 6 weeks mm-hmm. and then after that i called another my other doctor and said you know after i gave birth my back is hurting me <laughs> and then they gave me the prescription and then it went on and on for uh 5 years pregnant uh, wow. after the kids yeah mm-hmm. and how bad did it get um, I was taking, I have never said anything about this, but I was taking about seven a day. I always kept it at bay. Like I didn't want to overdo it. So I would take a half of one now and another half later and then another half here and another half. And then I started thinking about it in my head and I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, I'm up to seven, close to 10 sometimes. I never went over that. But I'm. I was like, this is bad. What do I do? I can't. And then I try to stop, and you feel like crap. Oh, like the flu. Like oh, you have the flu, right? But I have little kids. That's why I couldn't. That's why it took me five years on and off. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. I had to keep. I had to keep up. If I didn't take it, I was feeling like crap. I was feeling like shit. I wanted to smoke pot to get rid of that feeling. I, you know, I didn't really drink, but I, you know. I'm, I'm trying to take care of kids. I'm, and Adam is a big force in our family. He's a somebody that's, you know, he's a he's a big personality. And um, it was, I, I th- I'm sure I was depressed and postpartum, you know, postpartum in the beginning and, and all that. So I uh, went to a, I talked to Dr. Drew, and he sent me to a therapist and a psychiatrist and went to both of them, went to the therapist for six months straight, um, three days a week and went to the psychiatrist and he gave me medication to help me wean off and get off. Did he give you Suboxone? Yeah, he gave me Suboxone and then I was on Suboxone for a year. I'm counting that. And so then I tried to get off that. And, and Suboxone, the withdrawal of that is supposed is to be brutal. Brutal. And I did it going, taking the kids to the Toyota Grand Prix. When my husband was in the Toyota Grand Prix that week, I was detoxing and it was like day three and I was um, uh, miserable I couldn't move but I couldn't tell anybody so he gave me this medication that really like um Neurontin it like really helped like the the, that that feeling of coming out of your skin and I just powered through my best friend knew she came with me and I powered through that day and my doctor says to this day when he's detoxing patients in a hospital he's like listen one of my patients went to a Toyota Grand Prix if she can do that you can you know he's like he was what he this, was shocked that I did that what were the sound of the cars like oh my god How, I, it was a blur to be honest it was I was heavily medicated on the other stuff I just it was surreal it was like I was it was in a I was in a dream it didn't seem real and finally, you know, Suboxone, I mean, I, and then I finally got off of that. And then with the therapy, I stopped. It was hard. And um, I still sometimes wish I could take one, but I can't. I just can't. There's no way. What do you feel like in the therapy you've unearthed that you might have been trying to soothe with the with the Vicodin? 
if anything? Um, uh, How has it changed you? D- taking the Vicodin, you mean? or, or d- d- Getting during- away from it and having to deal with your feelings and expressing them in therapy. Um, it was hard. I would um, get upset a lot at Adam and kind of put blame on him that he's making me feel anxious and sad and he's so hypercritical and I can't take it anymore and and he you know it's him him and therapist like listen if it's the him it's the boss it's gonna be you know so you have to this is you have your kids your husband loves you you love him you know and I just I kind of just powered through and I talked to somebody that that went through the same thing and she helped me um, but so did I answer your question? Like co- well, coping? So did you then begin to have clarity that, that you have a part in allowing people to get to you, get to you as yeah. opposed to they control you? Yes. Uh, yes. What you said, but I didn't think of it. I don't think I thought of it that way. I just thought of it as. I was self-medicating throughout my kids' first few years of life and dealing with toddlers and dealing with that. And then Adam on top of it, who's who's can be hard, difficult. Um, and so with that, it kind of, I, I realized I was self-medicating and I, I had I have to figure out um, other ways. And, you know, and I did it like exercising. And I mean, but I know it sounds lame, but I exercise a lot. And that really did help. Um, I was in great shape. But I realized that my life, it, 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 like I said, it was Adam's Adam. And if it's not Adam, it's somebody I can't blame other people, I have to um, take responsibility for my happiness and my uh ebb and flow in life or something like that how does that sound <laughs> <laughs> that sounds smart <laughs> have you gotten good at setting boundaries with people especially mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. your husband and, and what do those look like and how did that um, come about not, not so much with my husband well no my husband and i went through or expressing your needs i mean just your com- how did your communication change with with him if if at all well uh, adam's tough because adam's adam has very adam has difficulty uh he's wired that way and he seems like he has some really big yeah. thick walls around him yeah he's got a i i think he's got a little bit of asperger he doesn't um know how to pick up on other people's emotional cues and that's not feels not good sometimes uh and he he can be hypercritical he doesn't think he is but he is and um what he thinks he sees the world black and white and that's a lot of Asperger that's what Dr. Drew explained to me that way so once that that was an epiphany when I figured that out then I thought this they told me Dr. Drew said your husband imagine Sonny my son and being severely neglected and that's what that's what your husband is so it's he's got a little bit of that genetic of little asperger but then his environment of being severely neglected growing up and that's kind of what makes him who he is so when that when he's explaining sunny is my son who is just a bag of sugar i mean he's the sweetest <laughs> little boy and i know a lot of moms say that but he's really like he's very in tuned with other people's feelings and so I can't imagine him growing in the environment that Adam grew up in. I mean, it breaks my heart to think that. So then that broke my, so then I looked at Adam 
differently. Not it's not easy still. Doesn't make it easy. But I do think, okay, I let stuff go. But we do communicate. Adam and I communicate pretty well. We've been together 18 years and married 10 and uh, no, married 11. And so we we communicate um, when we get upset. And if I'm upset, you know, we talk about it. He doesn't want me stewing. You know, he wants me to talk about it. What Um, are things that you find yourselves communicating? What are are the greatest hits? Well, I explained to Adam that... um, I'm trying to think um, that if you're comfortable with it, no, I, I, I know you need a, a, a certain amount of, of privacy because yeah. he's a public. Oh, I've, t- I've talked about it on Dr. Drew's show about this, but um, you know, Adam has to recognize that he's got a family and it's, he has to be aware of his family's feelings and be a little more in tuned and not in, in the computer all the time and not in his head all the time and wake up your kid is talking to you look at your kid make eye contact with your kid and you know be interested even though you're not interested act interested in what your kid is saying and I think telling Adam that in sort of the right way not fighting but explaining to him how what Drew said and all that I think it it sunk in and I notice a big a huge change to be honest he's been very he's been great um he's still a little bit off in his own world a lot but that's the you know the kids are gonna know that's daddy that's mm-hmm. it and then they they say it daddy wake up i'm talking to you hello you know so um the communication i think it, that that's helped i think it it um he doesn't like to hear it and it gets upset. These kind of people that have this kind of disorder that Adam has, they get prickly. If you start telling them, they get defensive. And I mean, I, I'm sure most people do, but he really got defensive and it was really hard and we had to fight and we had to get in arguments, but it, there was a breakthrough. So have you gotten better at communicating with each other? Has there been an evolution to it? Yeah. What's been the biggest thing? Um, just in terms of him hearing you and not becoming defensive or you becoming better at phrasing your feelings in a way that doesn't put him on the defensive or both? I'll tell you, situations with Adam, not necessarily talking because sometimes talking, he just thinks he's right constantly. So situations, it has to be. It has to be in the moment. If something, like I just said, so um, getting Adam communicating with him i have to say to him um the other night like my daughter wanted to do something with him and and he said let's do a head because he's good at head doing a headstand and let's do headstands you know and she wanted to do some she wanted to do something else and that she wanted to do but i said there was your chance to do what she wanted to do get in her world kids don't want to be in your world they want to be in you know in the moment kind of thing i think instead of sitting down and let's talk yeah, I think that's what therapists would call being mirrored, you know, mm-hmm. feeling seen and heard. Right, and- because Adam didn't have that as a kid. He didn't have a mother that looked and said, oh, let me see your picture. What'd you make? Not at all. At From grandparents, his both parents locked in their rooms, depressed. He had nothing. Yeah, it, it, he grew up in as intensive emotional poverty right. as, uh, as, as I've heard. Right. And... People that have experienced that go, well, I didn't get beat. I didn't get fucked. Right. Um, 
I have nothing to complain about, but the it's the absence of of things that you that yes people have in common with those who were right beaten because they're both the absence of love they're both right. the absence of being seen for right. an innocent child that's trying to make their way in, and the, in that, the world what you just said is what drew how drew explained it to me and that was when i started that's when i had the epiphany i was like oh i felt bad i felt horrible for him now he's an adult and he needs to take you know responsibility for his actions and stuff and be aware but for up until this year i'll tell you it uh I I didn't really know that. I mean, I did, but um, but but I never talked to Adam about it, about how he is. And I would imagine you walked around carrying a lot of resentment and having yeah. uh, conversations in your head of what you'd like to say and right. scream, scream. Right. And and Adam always thought that what I needed was a kiss, good night, and a um a birthday card, a, a rose when he came home. Like he didn't know what I wanted, so. And I don't think I knew what I wanted. So whenever I got upset or whatever, you know, I realized now what what he was doing was making me upset. But uh, I would just get irritated or whatever. And he thought, you know, oh, you know, Lynette needs more love. So I'm going to give her another hug and kiss before I go to bed or whatever. He thought that. Um, Now he knows. Now he's, you know, with therapy and really exploring. Because, you know... Is he, have, th- is he in therapy? Now he is. Now he's been going to therapy. Was that an ultimatum that you gave him or did he go yeah. on his own? No, it was an ultimatum. I left for a couple of days. I talked about this on the podcast. I left the house for on my birthday for two nights um, and I stayed at a hotel. And I was, because I was so upset with him, I just couldn't take it. And my girlfriend said, we'll take care of the kids and we'll tell them that it's your birthday and that you're going. So they were fine. I left. I stayed by myself and it was horrible. I was crying all the time. Adam was so mad that I did that. Now he he does what what everybody does. I think, and I'll, I think a lot of guys or a lot of wives do this. You're mad now. I'm mad. I'm mad too. So there, you know, that's was his reaction. So that made me even more upset out there. And um, but when I came back, I I told him, and I talked to Doctor Drew out there too when I was there. And so we told him, listen, you got to go to therapy. You know, he was in therapy for years earlier in his life when I first met him and then he stopped. And so now he's going to a great therapist and um, he's I noticed that he's changed and he likes it. He likes it. He likes to talk about himself. So (laughs) (laughs) that's the problem. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we go to uh, fears and loves? Mm -mm. I think I talked a lot. I feel bad. I, I want my I'm guests not. to talk a lot. Okay. I don't want to have a guest know, that I have I'm... to pull things out of. No, I, I, understand. I understand. No, it's been a great conversation, a nice just... give and take. Okay. But Good. Thank y- you. it brings me comfort to see somebody else beating themselves up. Mm, see? It feels like family. Yeah. It's very, and I like it in, it's very cozy in here. I was excited. I was excited. I was a little nervous, but I was excited. You, I, I left you, my notes in the car. Did the, did the nerves go away? Yes. Good. I knew they would. I knew. I knew once yeah. I sat down and start talking, I, I, I feel a little better. Yeah, that, and that's something I'd like people that have anxiety about going to therapy. Um, don't try to predict how it's no. gonna how it's gonna go. No. Just trust that other people have done it and that you're mm-hmm. not that different. Yes. That it'll work for you. And let me tell you one thing. They give you props too. I like that I was coming on this. I knew that I would be able to sit and really talk. I deal with a lot of comedians, and I know you're, you're a comedian too, but I deal with a lot of 
jokey jokey joke after joke after joke after joke and i i'm not a comedian i don't know how to bounce back and you know and react and you know do that and and um roll as adam would say i'm not good at that i mean i understand how they do it but i'm not a roller so it's hard for me so i knew that coming here i was gonna be able to just ah, take a breath block the world out and sit and talk to all and that's why i was like that yeah makes me feel so good well everybody should feel like that when they come in here to be honest just take a deep i mean it feels good right i love it yeah i love it and i feel the same way when i talk to somebody whether i'm the hosting it or you know in the other seat Mm -hmm. i just love the feeling of being honest with another human being Mm -hmm. and talking about the parts of ourselves that we want to hide yeah because I think that's the biggest mistake we go through in life is hiding that part mm. tucked away. Mm. It's tough. You know, a layer of shame around it like saran yeah. wrap. Oh, that'll seal yeah. it. That'll seal yeah. it nice and sweet. Yes, yes. Exactly. Well, let's do some uh, some okay. fears and okay. then we'll uh, and then we'll do some loves. Okay. Uh, I am going to be reading the fears and loves of somebody from the forum uh, who okay. calls themselves uh, Rose Dahlia, thirty-one. Um, I think I've corresponded with uh, with her before. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, let me get to her fears. We'll do fears first. Yeah, okay. Fears. okay. Um, I'll start with hers. I'm afraid I will be the last in my family to die. But then, what's the alternative? Then you go first and miss yeah. out on stuff. I don't see I a don't... win anywhere no. in this. Um, that, uh, that my, well, this is lighter, that my husband will divorce me and, uh, go with some young, hot girl. And then it'll be at the point where I'm old with kids and nobody wants to date a woman that's old with kids. And so, but he gets to get, you know, startled another life. You're the only woman that has that fear. That's very unusual. Really? <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> um, yes. So that's that's and that and and I like how you call that one light. Mm-hmm. Like that's a light fear. Yeah, it's a light. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be abandoned and judged. Oh, that's so frivolous. Um, <laughs> uh, Rose Dahlia says, uh, "I'm afraid my eating disorder is actually a slow form of suicide." Mm. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it can be if left untreated. Mm-hmm. I think it can be. What would you tell Rosa? Um, get to a support group or therapy or both and, yeah. and start opening up because it's not about the eating. It's about the lack of control in your life that makes you want to feel the control of mm-hmm. controlling your food. Right. You know, it's you have to make that decision. You have to come to that point in your life and think, do I want to continue doing this to my body or do I want to ha- get help? And, you know, I have to say, once you get it out, once you talk about it, it's not as scary, you know. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, your turn. Uh, I have a fear of um, feeling dumb in front of people. And one of it, the biggest one is Adam asking, Adam talking about math. So my kids are getting older. I, and this is so bad, but... They're getting older and we're, they're, they have math homework. And it really is embarrassing when Adam's like, Lynette, what's 42 divided by 8? You know, think, think about it. If 42, if you do this and this and, and I just get, I get, my brain freezes and I get nervous. And 
I, I don't want, well, I can't do it. I'm trying to think right now. See? And I honestly, is it? But don't ask. I don't remember. Four, it, my <laughs> Does 42, does eight go into 42? Um, It sounds like it would. <laughs> I just made that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if eight goes into 42. 46? Yeah. No. I don't think so. Well. Let's see. 16, 32, 40, 48. Oh, I was right. Well, maybe I'm getting... No, you said 46. No, I said... Okay. See? See? I made you feel dumb. See? <laughs> That's... I mean, it's a real legitimate theory. And <laughs> if I tell Adam that, he's going to make it worse and say, listen, you got to exercise your brain. You got to get on that. Oh, you can't. He's trying to change you. Can't, you. Yeah, and, yeah, and 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 that's, that's going to make it worse. So I hide when that stuff comes up. I go in the other room, and I don't. I mean, I know it sounds, but it really is a fear. It's and I think about it like, am I going to go? Like this is bad. Like the rest of my life, you know. And there's times where I make fun of him because he can't spell. I'm a good speller. I can touch type and you know type really fast and stuff like that, and he can't. But the math, it's bad. Like on road trips and stuff. Well, I, I, I hope through therapy he can yeah. begin to have more compassion for yes. uh, for you with that. Yes. Uh, Rose says, I'm afraid that while I'm jogging through the park, I'll get raped. That's a totally, I think about, that's one of my list of fears. I feel that too. I think that's pretty normal and natural. I have I have dreams sometimes where I'm getting chased by a bunch of guys. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Do I read one of mine? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in that in that um, subject, I I have a, hu- a huge fear of my kids being kidnapped um, constantly. I mean, I I think about it all the time. You know, I have this fear. I watch too much Nancy Grace. <laughs> I really do. You do you need? I to, do. I do. I'm chill on HLN on all the time. Yeah. It's not good. Not good. Um, just once, I'd like to see her go on a self-righteous tirade. <laughs> um, Rose says, I'm afraid I will only work entry-level jobs. Mm. That's a really common one. So many listeners have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, your turn. Um, I have a fear of being underground subterranean parking during an earthquake. I do, too. Really? My, my, yeah. My wife doesn't even like... To, sometimes she'll have me let her out rather than her go into the underground parking garage. I agree. And the same way with elevators. She doesn't like being I in elevators. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I lived in Northridge during the Northridge earthquake. So, I, I mean, I don't know if it's because of that, but I have that fear. Yeah. And she loves you, by the way. Oh. My wife does, yeah. I love her, yes, too. Yeah, she's, uh, so she's always filling me in on stuff. Oh, that's sweet. I, I wish I'd listened to more podcasts, but I, I become know. overwhelmed by I, which ones to listen to, and I, then I don't listen to any. So I, I agree. I, I apologize. I, no, that's okay. Don't right. worry about right. it. You ain't missing anything. Uh, your turn. <laughs> um, well, in that theme, I have a fear of loved ones listening to my podcast and getting in big trouble. Rose says, I'm afraid I'll never get married because I never want to have children. Oh my gosh, I think I ran out. That's okay, we'll go to Love's. Yeah, feeling dumb. Actually, let me just read a a couple more of hers. I'm afraid I'll always be dependent on someone, whether family, boyfriend, slash husband, or girlfriend. I'm afraid I'll get fat when I go through menopause. I'm afraid I'll die alone in a nursing home, neglected and unloved. I have that one. And I'm afraid I ended my first relationship too soon. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Those are good. Mm -hmm. Um... And I'll start out with one of her loves. Uh, I love a clear night sky where every star is visible. 
Oh, I you love that. miss that living in Los Angeles yes. with the smog. Yes. I love that, too. Um, I've got my joy notes here. Uh, I love blueberry shakes because every Saturday, my dad, after a horseback riding lesson, would take me to this place in, in West Valley that had shakes, and I would always get the blueberry shake. And he, he did, too. And he loved mm. it. And every time I had, I love I love blueberries. Every time I have a blueberry shake, which is once in a while, I, I think of my dad, and it makes me oh, happy. That's sweet. Is mm-hmm. that place still open? No, it's not. That's too bad. Yeah. Uh, I love after a month without rain in the summer, there's a huge thunderstorm that lasts all day. I love that, too, oh, and I love yeah. that smell when it hits the, oh, yeah. the pavement at first. Yes, yes. Uh, I, love, uh, I love the smell of fire uh, when you're walking. I walk my dog almost every day. And it, when when it's cool and rainy, you can smell people have the the fire in the mm-hmm. fireplace. Yeah, I love that. It makes me happy. Uh, she says, "I love the Twilight Saga. It saved my life. I never would have ma- imagined that somebody would have that. I always thought of it. I've never seen the any of the Twilight movies, but I always assumed that they were just kind of uh, to everybody. They were just kind of popcorn, um, wow. light fare. Um, I remember my mom." Even though she was crazy, I would sit on her lap and she would, every time it was my birthday, she would swing me up and down on her lap. Like I, my head would go down and then she'd bring me back and she would go, four years old Lynette, the four years old Lynette. And she'd just say that over and over and I and she would tickle me and I just remember mm. that. And now I do that with my kids. They don't really enjoy it that much. I, I, I bet it's doing positive stuff though. Yeah. I, I mean, I do a lot of other stuff where I tickle them and I do stuff like that and they love it. But um, I did it on their birthday and they were just like, okay, you done? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder if it's because they get it from you in other ways. So it's yeah, it's not do. like there's a yeah, there's other stuff that unquenchable they thirst right, for it. Right. Uh, Rose says, I love shaking my ass during a rap song. Nice. That's awesome. Nice. I love that too. I love the first notes of a song called Drive All Night. In the very beginning, there's a piano, the tickling of the piano. And I love that when I'm in my car, driving at night with the windows down. There's a song called Drive All Night. Who's it by? Bruce Springsteen. This is the live version, though. But if you Google it, Madison Square Garden 2009, Drive All Night, phenomenal. You'll see a beautiful I love how how detailed that that love is uh, my favorite loves are the ones that are really really detailed well when you said that in your email that was the the first one i thought of because i love there's just something about that song there's something about that situation i don't know i, I feel that way every time i hear the first minute of thunder road <gasps> that's like one of the most of course very few artists can open a song the way he does with the just the the melody and mm-hmm. the perfect instrument mm-hmm. and the and the words that that paint a picture right i hope someday he will write a song about someone escaping a small town in a car that yeah, would be they, that would be uh, wonderful right. no, that's what my, my husband says all the time <laughs> me and sally sue are gonna break out of this town and go to the edge of town and say like, shut up he, he always does that uh and by the way i think one of the most amazing songs and it's so simple but um i'm on fire love it 
God, that song is so stripped down. And Nebraska is one of my favorite albums. Oh, good, good. That is an amazing yeah, album. I could see that with you. Yeah. I could see oh, it's that. It's so dark. Yeah. It's so good. dark. It's, it's like delicious chocolate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Rose says, uh, I love cleaning alone while listening to music. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. And she's too. got one more. Do you have? Uh, yeah, how, how many I, more do you I, have? I have a lot. <laughs> um, I well, I love the time of night when my kids are in bed and I get to. I'm free, although. Adam comes in and, and when he gets home from the podcast and he's still going and he's still, so he still talks. Still talking. He's still talking. <laughs> and I just can't wait until he's done. And then when he's gone and that door closes and yeah. everybody's gone, I am in, in heaven. Would there ever be the possibility that you could say to him, uh, good to see you, honey, give him a kiss and say, I need some alone time. I need some quiet time. What, I've done that. And you know, he gets mad. All right. What's up with you? That's what I get. Wait, you in a bad mood? Is there anything wrong with letting him be mad? Yeah, I, I'm, that's what I'm trying to work on yeah, right now. That would be an awesome yes. thing. And, I, and I, I know that feeling. I agonize when I feel like I've let somebody down. Yeah. So this is certainly the pot calling the, 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 the mm-hmm. kettle black, but it's easier to give you advice well, than I, to take I, advice Well, I myself. understand. You yeah. understand me. That's, yeah. you know. Uh, Rose says, I love sliding across the floor in my socks. Oh, cute. That's a great Tom one. Cruise. Never had that one before, but I love it. Wow. Um, let's see. Oh, I, I love swimming underwater and just holding my breath and just floating underwater in the pool. I do too. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great one. I would go swimming. All my, We had, luckily, we had a pool and there was no air conditioning. So I would go swimming and I would just dunk myself and i would just everything would be quiet mm-hmm. and i would be underwater and i would think oh i'm gonna watch the love boat with my dad tonight and i'd be excited about that or whatever it is but underwater so quiet so peaceful mm-hmm. um i went camping one time in um the mountains of uh, washington state and we were above the tree line and there was no wind one night so there was ap- and there's no wildlife up there uh-huh. so it was absolute silence wow. absolute pure silence and i could feel something shift in my body like a peace come over me that i was like wow that it's in- it's there's something to that i think everybody needs to do that find a place and sit in pure and i think being outside it- it's different when you're I think outside and inside. Yeah. Give us a couple more and we'll go out on those. Okay. Um, whenever I uh, get on my iPhone and I clear out the data, data or whatever, mm-hmm. is when it says you're full, mm-hmm. it feels like squeezing a zit. <laughs> yeah, like satisfaction. There's a satisfaction, right? Like delete, 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 delete. And then I free up all this space and I can see that I freed up space. It feels good. I love emptying the trash yes. on my laptop. Yeah. Love it. it. Feels good. I even love the noise. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. I feel cleaner. I, yeah. 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 Uh, it's great. Uh, I like sitting in bed um, on a Sunday with Adam watching bad reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> While the kids are just buzzing around. But we we make it a point that's sort of like our time to sit there and we'll watch, you know, bad reality TV. Lynette, thank you so much for coming and, thank and sharing. You. This has been so, I don't know, uplifting. Good. Feels good. Feels good. I, I love hearing that. Well, I hope other people like it, hearing it. And uh, is there anything that you'd like to uh, plug? 
Um, you can check out our podcast for crying out loud. Um, go subscribe if you want. It's, and it's uh, you and Stephanie Wilder, Stephanie Wilder Taylor, yes. who was a guest on this show and yes. was great. Yes. She's a comedian. She's, um, hosting parental discretion on Nickelodeon. And actually I get to be a guest on her show tomorrow, which is exciting. Um, and she's written lots of books. Sippy cups are not for Chardonnay. Happy nap time is a new happy hour. Um, so she's really funny and she's interesting and we just talk we talk about whatever you know a lot of parenting stuff but so and you can follow me on twitter uh lynette carolla awesome thanks lynette thank you Paul. so sweet many 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 thanks to uh to lynette i really enjoyed talking to her and uh yeah check out uh their their podcast uh for crying out loud um before we get to a stack of surveys. Want to remind you a couple different ways to support the podcast. Um, you can go to the website mentalpod.com. You can uh, support it financially by making a one-time PayPal donation, or uh, my favorite, a monthly recurring donation for as little as five bucks a month. It really helps keep the the podcast going. Um, somebody sent me an email uh, saying that they felt shamed for not uh, being a monthly donor. Um, that that I had said something in a previous podcast, and I don't recall what it was, but um, it kind of bummed me out because I totally understand that there's a lot of people out there that are um, barely scraping by and can't afford it, and it's one of the reasons why I've never charged for premium episodes or any of that other stuff because I want people that don't have money uh, to be able to to hear episodes about subjects that maybe they... Um, need to hear or will bring them some comfort. So um, now I totally understand um, if you can't if you can't support it. Um, support it by listening. Support it by uh, you know sending me a, an email that tells me what you like or sometimes what you what you don't like, and then I can tell you to go fuck yourself. Hmm. Hmm. While I twirl my handlebar mustache. I actually can't tell somebody to go fuck themselves unless I twirl my handlebar mustache. But um, it sucks when I don't have one and I want to tell somebody to go fuck themselves because then I have to wait for it to come in. Then I have to wait for Amazon to deliver my mustache wax. And I'm not even sure what a handlebar mustache is. Is that is that the one that goes out and then goes down? I'm thinking of the one, the old-timey time one that goes into a little curly Q-tip. Um, anyway, let's, uh, you can also support the show, uh, financially by shopping, uh, at Amazon by entering through our search portal, right hand side of the homepage, halfway down. Um, I don't give a shit about the rest of these (laughs) announcements. I'm bailing on myself. Um, and Herbert says hello, by the way. This is an email I got from Justin. Uh, he's a listener, and he, and he writes, uh, been listening to the podcast now for about a year. I want to share something with you that has troubled me for over two years. I myself do not have any sort of mental illness, but I currently live with my wife, who is battling with her own demons, so to speak. About two years ago, my wife of nine years had an affair that almost tore our family apart. We worked through it and got back together. In turn, I thought everything would be fine. Back in November... Uh, My wife voluntarily was hospitalized because 
the voices in her head that were saying that she was a child molester were becoming too much for her to cope with. The doctors diagnosed her as major depressant with psychotic features. She took her meds for about a month and decided she didn't need them uh, until recently. Uh, she took her meds for about a month and she decided she didn't need them. Until recently, on April 20th, she had another episode and the voices were worse. She said she was seeing a demon and even went to church to see if she could be exercised. I was just watching her, listening and trying to help her until she wanted me to ask my kids, uh, ages 5 and 8, if she had ever molested them, which she has not. With the support of my family, hers and her doctor, I filed a petition to have her sent back to the hospital. While she was there, she began to hate me more than she has ever. Pure anger which I can understand. She has now been in the hospital for over a week and is about to uh, be let out since the hospital cannot legally keep her there anymore. The doctors and myself do not feel that she is well enough to return, but it is out of our hands. She has now told me that she wants to separate and move out as soon as she gets home tomorrow. We have always had a happy, loving relationship until this illness came into the picture. I know it's not her fault, and I do not love her any less, but it hurts to watch her destroy herself by not taking her medication and denying her condition. I don't know what to do. I'm scared, emotional, and terrified for my kids who have to watch their mother disintegrate before their very eyes. She says that she will not take her medications uh, since it will take away her, quote, psychic powers. I don't know if I'll ever have my family whole again. Deep down, I know that my loving wife is somewhere in there fighting to come out. I'm not sure what her new diagnosis is, but the doctors have hinted at paranoid schizophrenic. She's a very sweet, intelligent woman who is almost done with her bachelor's in environmental science. I know you probably get a lot of mail, uh, but I do not know what to do anymore with this life, this illness, or these troubled emotions that have raced through me. Sometimes I feel like I want to run away from all of this. Sometimes I wish she would leave me so that I don't have to worry about her anymore. But deep down, I love my wife and would do anything to protect her. Maybe next time I'll end up in the hospital with her. God help me. Wow, that is that is heavy, Justin. And um, I wrote Justin back and I said, wow, I'm so sorry you're having to deal with this. I can't imagine the burden on you, your kids, and your wife. I'm not a mental health uh, professional or a legal professional, so I'm afraid to weigh in, but I'll share my experience with dealing with people who don't want to get help for their alcoholism. Uh, there are ones who have decided... Uh, they are the ones who have decided uh, to get better. She may have to burn her life to the ground to see that her way of living, not taking meds, is not working. Many addicts and alcoholics are the same way, and the most loving pe- the most loving thing you can do is to be the best father you can be for those kids. I know plenty of people who were abandoned by one parent but had a loving one who stuck with them, and they turned out okay. I think if you try to get too obsessed with running her life or trying to make her see the light... Your kids will only have half of one parent. Just my opinion. Plus, it will drive you crazy trying to get a sick person to help themselves when they don't want to. Um, and I would also recommend maybe checking out um, NAMI.org. That's N-A-M-I.org. And they have a lot of fr- um, free support group meetings. I think they're free. If, if they're not, they're very low cost. Uh, support group meetings for the loved ones of people who um, suffer from mental illness. But sending you a big hug, uh, Justin. That's uh, that's got to be a lot to live with. Uh, this is an awful some moments. You guys really came through on the awful some moments this week. It uh, oh, it made me made me very. High. It gave me a soul boner. 
I want that on my I want that on my headstone. I got a soul boner. This is from a woman who calls herself Daddy Issues. Like her right away. All my life growing up and still to some degree now, I craved my father's attention. Though we would often shoot the shit with my younger sister, I may as well have been invisible. It seemed the only time he noticed I existed was when he needed something uh, to criticize me. Something or when he needed something or to criticize me. When I was 15, I spent a summer in overnight camp where I ran around a lot and did many sports. In the middle of the summer, my parents came to visit me. Within the first five minutes of seeing me, my dad says, you lost weight. Keep it that way. I think I was too flattered and thrilled with a compliment that I didn't notice how warped it was. That is, that is textbook awfulsome right there. Um, this was filled out by uh, a young woman uh, who's 16, and she calls herself Georgette. And I just want to read this. Um, her darkest thought, I think about how badly I wish I didn't have to continue to exist in this life. I resent my parents for failing to care for me as much as they cared about being the winner of their divorce. Oh, my God. Parents going through a divorce. Stop using your children as pawns. It is just... Ah, that breaks my heart. Her dark, darkest secret. Uh, I once went on an anonymous video chat website when I was 13 and let someone know my Skype account. I showed my boobs to them and then they threatened to send the video to the principal of my school unless I masturbated for them over video. I got really close to doing it and sobbed the entire time I was on video and told they, until they told me to stop. I gave them my phone number and they texted me and threatened me. I told only my little sister that I was being threatened, but she doesn't know the full story. She encouraged me to stand up for myself and I told the person I would call the cops. I spent months worrying that a video of me would become public or the cops would show up at my door. I sometimes still get anxiety about it. I blame myself for giving them too much info, um, which I have always encouraged people not to do, but I blame myself for putting myself in that position. I've never told anyone this story, including my counselor, and this is the first time I've ever written it. I fear if anyone finds out, I will be judged, and I don't know if I will ever tell anyone this story. Um, you know, I wanted to read that, Georgette, because I, I wanted you to understand that you were a child who was manipulated by an adult, and... You need to not blame yourself. That that that's what that person was getting off on was controlling you was was using the gullibility of a child. Um, that's that's what they were. You know, it might have been your body, yes, that they're getting off on, but at the deep core of it is that feeling of control that that person has over you, and that's why they chose a child. Um, you may think at thirteen that you should know better, but. Ask any of us who are over 20, when we think back to what we actually did know at 13, um, we would not judge ourselves. So um, sending you some, some love, and uh, I hope you can forgive yourself and know that this is completely, completely on that sick person that did that to you. Um, this is filled out by uh, Megan. Uh, Megan Parkansky, who was a former guest. This is her awfulsome moment. And um, 
She writes, a couple of weeks ago, I got a call from a number I didn't recognize, but the area code seemed really familiar. It wasn't from Wisconsin, where I'm from, or from the Los Angeles area where I live now, so I just couldn't figure out why this looked so familiar. Then I realized, could it be? Oh my God, could it be? I recently was dumped by a girl who I was and still am hopelessly in love with. I had deleted her number from my contacts so I wouldn't be tempted to drunk dial her or reach out and say something pathetic or that I'd, uh, pathetic or that I'd regret. I think this area code is hers. She's from Washington. I thought my fantasy was coming true. She missed me. She wanted to apologize for how much she hurt me. Maybe we could meet and talk or something. I googled the area code. Yes. Oh my God. It was from Washington. Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. My fantasy is coming true. I decided to google the entire number to confirm for sure it was my ex. Then I found it's a collection agency based out of the Seattle area. I have owed almost $2,000 for a few years um, from when I had my psychotic breakdown and was involuntarily admitted to an inpatient facility. So needless to say, I was a little disappointed. This number calls at least a few times a week, every week since. Every time I look at that phone and I see that number with a Washington area code, there is still a fraction of a second where I think, oh my God, it's her. This is my fantasy. But I quickly snap out of it and realize, oh, that's right. I still owe thousands of dollars for being literally crazy. Ah, <laughs> uh, love you, Megan. Love you. Um, these are two surveys from uh, the being hospitalized surveys, and I just wanted to read these because I think they kind of bookend the breadth of psych ward experiences. And um, the first one was filled out by a woman named Maria. And why were you hospitalized? Uh, I've been taken to the hospital in handcuffs for a mental evaluation. My mom was in and out of mental institutions, uh, E and T's, and halfway houses my whole life. Uh, as a patient, I felt brutalized, demeaned, and degraded. I was made to don a hospital gown handcuffed so tightly to a hospital bed that the metal cut into my skin and denied water for over an hour despite having Sjorgen's syndrome, which makes me very thirsty. I was scared to death because I didn't understand why I was there. I was alone and terrified. Uh, hospital personnel told me that they would call my husband, but when they left, they never came back. No matter what I said to them, I was not listened to. I was treated as though I was an inferior animal. Even today, thinking about that experience upsets me deeply. I know I'm not an exception to the rule and that this must happen every day across the nation. The stigma surrounding mental illness, although significantly less than in years past, still exists today. Thank you for that. Um, and then this next one was filled out by E, our friend E. from, uh, And she is, um, her sex is female, but she is uh, genderless. And she writes about, I don't know if that, matters here, but I just uh, thought I'd add that. I'd like to g give some love to our uh, our friends in the trans community. Um, why, was she, why were you hospitalized in high school? My narcissistic slash borderline mother was gaslighting and emotional, uh, gaslighting and emotionally something, I think she left a word out, me so thoroughly 
that I thought I was going crazy and was severely depressed. I told my therapist that I wanted to kill myself, that she would put me in the hospital. I really just wanted a week away from my family, and I didn't know where else to go. My brother has been hospitalized twice uh, as a child slash teen for extreme aggression and anger problems. My brother-in-law was hospitalized for addiction issues. Um, What was your experience as a patient? It was helpful uh, in that it was fairly peaceful. Uh, It was a fairly peaceful experience to be away from my family and in a place where people were concerned and actually listened to me. It was informative and moving to meet other teens who were in significant emotional distress as well. It gave me the strength to go home and power through the remainder of my time at home slash high school. Thank you for that. I wonder if there's a difference um, between how teens are treated and adults are treated at those facilities. That That would be interesting to know. He said, punctuating with a sip of tea. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by, I love this name, Gordon Heavy Toes. He's 30. And his uh, awfulsome moment, I have two dogs that happen to be pit bull mixes. I brought them to the vet where I was told the police would profile and harass me because of their breeds. I already don't like cops. The next day, a squad car slowly followed me when I was walking my dogs. The car sped off after a neighborhood girl ran up and started scratching their ears. I just knew the cop following me was some asshole or a power trip on a power trip. A few weeks later, another cop started following me the same way the first one had. My dogs are current on all shots, not a danger to anybody, and they are licensed by the city. I was really, I was ready to let this prick know he couldn't just fuck with me because of how my dogs look. The cop pulled over, rolled down his window, and asked me to stop. He then said he noticed me with my dogs a few weeks before. Turns out it was the same asshole who followed me before. I was ready for whatever he could do, except for what he did. He told me I have the cutest dogs he had ever seen and asked if he could pet them. Turns out I'm the asshole. (laughs) That is a great one. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself El Perro. He's straight in his 20s, and I, I just wanted to read a couple of excerpts. Um, sexual, and he had experienced um, uh, an emotionally abusive uh, upbringing, and a dad who really liked guns. And sexual fantasies, being the dominant person during sex, I've always been submissive in all aspects of my life, and I often think about how good it would feel on a base level to be able to control and dominate somebody. Sharing that creeps me out and scares me that that would turn me into my father. What, if anything, do you wish for? A girlfriend who loves me as much as I love her. I yearn to have a deep emotional attachment with someone, and having recently had one and lost it makes me feel like there's a giant hole in my heart that I try to fill with food, constant exercise, passive aggression, and constant masturbation. Um, Have you shared these things with others? Yes, and I've been told such things as fake it until you make it, or you don't need a girlfriend to be happy, or go get mental help when I come from a dirt-poor family and cannot afford it. Well, I want to read that for two reasons. Uh, One, um, I wanted to uh, say, you know, there might be a a love addiction uh, at work there. Uh, I don't know, but um, as far as getting mental help, try dialing 211 um, and see if if you get a hold of, um, a lot of times you can get in touch with, um, 
a facility that will tell you what low-cost or free mental health services are available in your area. And you can also Google low-fee therapy and the name of your town or city. And uh, I did that here in Los Angeles and had a therapist for about six months who was fantastic. She hadn't even gotten her license yet. She was still in training, and then she had to move out of state. And don't think for a second that I didn't think, is she moving away because I'm a fucking douche? Um, Because it's all about me. Anyway, hang in there, Pero. There is help. Um, This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself motherless daughter. She writes, My mom had been fighting metastasized cancer for over three years. I kept pushing off visiting because she was scheduled to start a new course of treatment at a new hospital. She kept telling me to wait till she saw the new doctors and we knew what the next course of action was. She never made it that far, though. The morning she was to go to the new hospital, her body basically finally gave up. Please remember, I hadn't seen my mom for the last four months, and all I keep hearing about is how frail she got in the last few months. I was very scared to see what she would look like, lying in the coffin, all emaciated and, well, dead. I was scared of my own reaction, but Dad was insistent that everyone needed a chance to say their final goodbye, and it was the right thing to do. Off I went to get my mom's final outfit, nail polish, and makeup look. She had a very uh, specific way she wore her makeup, and she needed a manicure. One of the last conversations we had, she was telling me how annoyed she was she hadn't gotten her nails done recently, so I had to make sure her nails looked nice. We had to send her off the right way. The morning we got to the funeral home, grieving and scared of what I was going to see, I reluctantly followed my dad into the viewing room. There was my mom in a nice coffin, in one of her favorite dresses, her nails done, her makeup perfect, just as I had described to the undertaker, and with a smirk on her face. My brother and I looked at each other, and I just couldn't hold back a giggle. Just like in life, she was laughing at us, at the situation. Here she was, even in death, not looking too bad, and smirking at the world. I said to my brother, it's not just me, right? Does she really have a smirk on her face? He agreed. He saw it too. Even in death, she was laughing at us, mocking the system. She went out just as we thought she would, always on her own terms. And here she was. And here she was, her final facial expression, her signature smirk. Thank you for that. Um, This is from the Shame and Secret Survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Unipolar Unicorn. Darkest secret, I, uh, I self-harm. I know in the anonymous internet that means nothing, and I know it's very common among people with mental illness, but the world sees me as functional and bubbly. A successful 31-year-old woman who completed her PhD and is paving her own way on a new career path. How inspirational she is. How fucking full of life she must be. But like everyone else who wears a mask, it's all a facade. Just a ruse to hide the fucking crazy, oversensitive girl who can't control her emotions and flips out over the smallest things. Whose best solution for dealing with the overwhelming feelings is to take a belt and choke herself until she gags. Because even though she fantasizes about blowing her brains out, she doesn't actually want to die. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my parents that I love them and thank them for all they've done, that I do appreciate that they raised me in a safe and loving environment. At the same time, though, I want to tell them that I resent them for not believing in mental illness. 
that when they found out I was cutting in junior high school, they should have taken me to see a therapist instead of telling me how disappointed they are that I would resort to such things. I got to tell you, that doesn't sound like a safe and loving environment to me. Um, And I want to tell them that maybe if they'd helped me then, instead of shaming me, that maybe I wouldn't still be so fucked up 17 years later. That maybe if they'd showed me some compassion and understanding, I wouldn't be hiding my depression from them even now. And maybe, just maybe, if they believed in mental illness, I wouldn't feel so ashamed and guilty as I do now. That I wouldn't feel like it's my fault I'm this way. That I wouldn't hate myself for feeling this way and for being so weak. You are not weak. You are not weak. You... You are a human being who is suffering from something that is real and has a name and um, we get you. Those of us listening to this podcast, we get you. What if anything do you wish for? Um, I'd give anything. Reaching for the stars, I'd give anything to stop hating myself, to stop blaming myself and to stop feeling so ashamed, to stop living in fear that everyone will leave me if they find out how truly crazy I am. I know, quote, normal is a vacuous description, but in my mind, normal just means not crazy. Basically, I wish I were normal. Well, that's why I go to support groups, and 90% of my friends are in support groups, because that is my normal. And I love it, and I don't feel crazy around them. Um, uh, Have you shared these things with others? I've told my therapist bits and pieces. No one else needs to know. Also, pretty sure no one else cares to know. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Not everyone in your life will understand your mental illness. In fact, I'm pretty sure most people won't. Most, quote, normal people don't want to hear about suicide or self-harm. At best, they get uncomfortable. Then there are those people, like my parents, who don't believe there are real illnesses at all. Sometimes trying to make these people understand will hurt more than help. Oh, I hardly agree with that. Drive yourself crazy. Uh, Yes, it hurts to hide your pain, but for me, it hurts even more to share your pain with those you love only to have them invalidate your feelings. On the flip side, some people may surprise you and be more understanding than you ever imagined, but the shame and guilt doesn't go away that easily. You still have to work on that. And I think in a nutshell, that's why vulnerability can be so terrifying. And then we isolate and then... And then things get worse. Um, thank you for that. And we're sending you... Uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to upgrade you. We're going to send you a wheelbarrow full of love. We haven't sent one of those out yet, but I think uh, I think a wheelbarrow full of love. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a guy who calls himself cheese-eating rat bastard. So you know I fucking love this guy already. I have a lot of trouble in high-pressure sales situations. I don't like disappointing people, even if it's some pushy jerk salesperson. A little while back, a home security system salesman came to my house. My dogs were freaking out inside. The salesman told me I needed a security system. I said the two dogs I have were security enough. Just saying that made me feel awful. He said I still needed an alarm system. I dared him to open the door. And without saying a word, he turned around and walked to the next house. <laughs> it's fucking great. Um, that could have been a happy moment. This is filled out. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Lazy Bones. Lady Bones. Um, she's Lady Bones. I'm Lazy Bones. She is straight-ish in her 30s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. 
she was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. Uh, molested at age five by a cousin. I'm 43 and that moment fucked me up and remains such a sexual dopamine hit. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to read this too is a lot of people don't talk about that, the dopamine hit, um, the triggering. You know, triggering can kind of be one of two things, sometimes both, where it it is horrible and arousing slash pleasurable at the same time to recall, if not that exact situation, a similar situations, a similar situation. Uh, continuing, my family all has denied that this happened to me. Um, I need some closure with this. Um, I love intimate sex. Role-playing the daddy-daughter is tremendously relieving and safe. Taking conflict between the violation and physical pleasures of past-present events is and remains a turbo-sex place with a partner who rules, understands why the molesty, rapey daddy fetishes turn me on, and is pretty fucking thrilled to help uh work through uh, in real life events. I hope, Paul G., that you continue to educate about how helpful it is to play out hard fantasies and make a completely different relationship with intimate slash trust slash sex slash abuse slash long list. Um, Darkest thoughts. I wish I could be a tall man with a killer face and a horse cocked dick for a year. I'd be a rapist. I'd also make men bleed, breed, cramp, birth, and deal with a vagina whenever I need to come. Darkest Secrets. I hate poor and uneducated black dudes. I think the worst lot in the USA is being a poor black male. I know this is racist and sexist. Welcome to the fold and the rub. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for? A cock and a sweet beach condo. If the cock's big enough, you actually don't need to leave your condo to see how the water is that day. Um, although you might uh, throw some people on the bike path over their handlebars. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, most friends understand the Freaky Friday reverse rape uh, stuff, but most of my friends are dudes. Awesome friends, but still male. How do you feel after writing these things down? Disappointed that I can't figure out why limited and focused questions in this forum center around males, males with much younger female. Uh, imagine the responses. Um, the reason why I put that, she's referring to a, a survey I have called, um, I forget the name of it, but basically it's about uh, boys who were um, violated um, by older girls or women. And the reason I put that originally up, because I was shocked at how many men had experienced that once I started doing the podcast. And I had, it wasn't a shock for me to, to hear about older men doing that to, to, to younger girls. So that's why I didn't put that one um, up there. It's not that I don't care about their stories. It's what I'm looking to do with the podcast is give more voice to the people whose voices haven't been been heard enough. Um, but maybe I should put that up there. Um, anyway, thank you for that super, super honest. And um, you really went deep with that survey, and I appreciate it. And, and, and I appreciate um, constructive criticism. Sometimes it, it really opens my eyes to things I hadn't, I hadn't thought about. And, uh, and I'm going to be honest, too, you know, that survey... You know, a lot of that's me working through my shit um, because I, for years, for decades, couldn't wrap my head around how a mom could 
be pervy with a son. And uh, sometimes I think I still have that because, you know, for 40 years I was like, a mom wouldn't do that. Even even a female wouldn't do that. Um, and I think it's why it's still a struggle for me to feel like I'm not making it up or being a baby. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by our friend E. Um, she writes, when our younger child... Ooh, hold on. Hold on. Uh, she writes, when our younger child was 18 months old, we found out we were unexpectedly six weeks pregnant. We decided pretty quickly to terminate since we could not financially or psychologically handle a third child. After the news had sunk in, my husband, he was referring to me getting pregnant, said, is it weird that I find this kind of hot? And I thought he was talking about the abortion, but it was so dark and gross and horrible since I was very scared and sad, but something about it just struck me as totally hilarious. So I was like, ooh, sob, laugh, sob, sob, ha, 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 oh, God. That is that is an awful moment. Um, this is... A happy moment uh, filled out by Claire, and she writes, uh, anytime I'm around dogs, I feel, if not good, then better. But one time in particular, I was bringing groceries into my apartment, and I left the door open, and I turn around, and this little puppy's just trotting through the door into my kitchen like he lives there. It was so funny and so cute. I kind of held on to that moment for the next few days to help me feel happy. Uh, that doesn't surprise me, actually, because they bring uh, dogs and puppies to nursing homes, and it can often um, really get people out of, uh, out of a funk. Uh, but I think the problem with bringing uh, dogs into a nursing home is that then the puppies need therapy uh, for the abandonment issues because everyone dies on them. Just pointing out the flaw in that. This is... I'm going to skip that one. I feel like we're running long. Should I skip that? Yeah. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Sisyphus II. She writes, The other night I had my first sexual experience with another human being. It was the eve of my 20th birthday, and having never been kissed, my friend offered to do me a favor and change that. We got caught up in the moment and began to go further, which eventually meant that he was on top of me, fingering me. All of a sudden, he looked down and remarked how beautiful I was. And being the insecure fuck-up I am, I asked him how he could see beauty in someone like me. He tried to explain, and I told him he was wrong, only to have him respond that it was an objective truth that I was beautiful and that... Him and a close friend had spent an hour earlier that day discussing how beautiful I really was. As he proceeded to continue to try to please me, I began to break down crying to the point where I couldn't uh, move or speak because I was sobbing so heavily. Instead of freaking out, he laid there and held me tighter, continuing to kiss my forehead and rub my arm, saying nothing, and instead letting me break down in peace. After I stopped, I got up and walked into the bathroom in shame. As I began to examine myself in the mirror, I saw nothing but flaws, stretch marks, acne, dark circles under my eyes, hair that was a mess. He came up behind me and held me once more, kissed me gently, and he told me he loved me. It was one of the most heartbreaking yet touching moments of my short life, one that reminded me that I wasn't as worthless as I often feel. 
That was beautiful. Thank you for that. And then this last one is from a guy who calls himself Joseph Kerr. And uh, it's a happy moment. And he writes, when I was a kid, I went to two different camps every year. One was a YMCA camp and the other was designed to be a place for rich kids to rough it. In the rich kids camp, I took a class in lifeguarding. One summer when I was around 10 or 11 at the YMCA camp, I noticed a younger kid flailing around in the deep end of the pool. He was starting to drown. I yelled at the lifeguard, but he didn't hear me over the playful screams of the other kids. The training I had in being a lifeguard kicked in. I dove into the pool, swam to him, and managed to drag him to the edge of the pool. At the time, I didn't think much of it, though when he coughed up water, I thought it was gross. I was mainly made I was mainly mad at the lifeguard, and if memory serves, which it never fucking does, I yelled at him before going back in the pool, and I'm sure pissing in it. On the day when the parents picked up the children, I heard a kid yell, That's him! That's him! I turned to see what was happening. I thought someone was getting told on. When I located the source of the yelling, I saw it was the kid I saved pointing at me. Before I knew what happened, I was in the middle of a hug from two adults that I didn't know. Turns out I wasn't in trouble. It was only then that I realized I saved his life. Now, whenever I feel like a piece of shit, I think back to the kid I saved like it was nothing. God, I love... I just love the... I'm I'm at a loss for words. I just... I love how vulnerable you guys get. I love how you let me in on your on your lives in in such detail and you go so deep with these things that you that you share with us the rest of us listeners it's just i feel i feel i just feel so lucky i feel so lucky well if you're if you're listening and you're still feeling stuck i i hope hearing all this stuff um reminds you that we've felt like you sometimes we slide back and still feel like you um, but many of us just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And some days, man, all you got to do is hang on. Even if you stay in bed all day, I think, I think that's okay. You know, people are, oh, get up, you know, you got to go exercise. You know what? Fuck off. My pillow loves me and I'm not ready to divorce it. So fuck off. I'm going to put in a good 16 hour day in bed and, uh, yeah, it's, be, be kind to yourself, be compassionate, be gentle, be patient, and know that um, there is help if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and ask for it. And you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.